You're listening to Eye on the Ball with Steve Rivera. This podcast is a Bustos Media production on The Voice. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Eye on the Ball. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. We're on 1030 The Voice. Now in with me is Tom Callahan for the fourth day of the week. I think it's the fourth day. We're all kind of playing Groundhog Day these days. Thursday, Tom, how are you? I'm good, Steve. I did have to get confirmation earlier today that it is indeed Thursday, so I do have that. Did you did you go through the same issue as I did? Um, Wondering? Uh, you Wondering? know, I... It, seriously, it, it, no joking here. I really did get paralyzed by the thought of not knowing for uh, maybe a minute what day of the week it is or what's going on. I just I completely blanked out and spaced out, and that's where our brains are these days, I guess. We really don't know. Yeah, it's funny because I remember uh, as a kid, well, much younger than this, after college, I'd go to bed and then uh, wake up thinking, oh, i got to get to class. And then realizing, well, I no longer go to school anymore. I have to go to work. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it's kind of, what are we doing? But the good thing is I'm working from home, doing the show here and doing my other job here. So um, I'm fortunate to have that opportunity. So crazy times, as we all talk about uh, all over the place. Uh, but good to have the show available to everybody who listens or the person who listens to me. Thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll see what's going on. Hey, but did you see, before I announce my guest today, that the uh, kind of the, uh, the G League is going to kind of change next year? It's going gonna, it's gonna to change college basketball. It's going to change the NBA. It's going to be unbelievable. Have you heard this? I have not heard this yet. Uh, well, one of the top recruiters, one of the top recruits, players, he's a junior, I guess now, he'll be available for the 2021 class. Uh, his name is Jalen Green. Apparently, he's going to forego college all entirety and play in something that's similar to the G League. Uh, they'll be playing in the G League or against the G League from time to time, but they're going to be making close to half a million dollars a year but playing in that league so they won't have to go to college and they'll be making some serious coin, which, of course, means that the college game is going to be diluted with kids who don't go to college, and we know those that don't. We know that that exists, and they'll be trying to make it in this league. Um, man, is the world changing quickly in sports. It, it it's interesting because so I'm reading up on this Steve as we're talking um, and his decision to come out and go to the G League which was announced yesterday um, so they're offering an opportunity for the elite prep stars to spend one year in the G League with the potential to earn more than the $125,000 in salary and get sponsorship money as well so um, that's interesting they're saying and they're saying that the G League could pay more than that maybe 500,000 and you know right look look Steve we talk about this all the time if anybody thinks the NCAA doesn't make a ridiculous amount of money off college basketball you're dreaming because uh, they do and but it's just never shown up in any substantial way for the athletes no no it hasn't uh, I don't know where you stand in, in kids being paid to play um Unless you want to tell me, I don't. I don't care. I I would favor athletes being paid if it came down to it, because again, the NCAA makes money off of them uh, as a nonprofit worth billions of dollars, and coaches get paid a crazy amount of money. You don't pay a coach four million dollars a year for an entity that does not make you money, 
And so, no question. And even yeah. when you sell a jersey with a number one on the back of it, you know darn well, even though there's no name on it, who number one is when you buy that jersey. Yes, so you're more for than against. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind it at all if it happened. We just uh, figuring out a way to do it. I don't know. Uh, you know, as a percentage of your sports revenue, I think might be the fairest, although that doesn't really help swimmers and squash players and, and gymnasts. Right, right, right. Well, let me say, I, I'm not in agreement with you. Uh, I'm not maybe a shade a little, but uh, okay, so you pay a little Johnny, uh, let's say $2,000 a semester, $4,000 a semester, whatever the going rate is. Little Johnny is the star running back or the quarterback. Uh, what about uh, Freddie, who's blocking for little Johnny? Does he get the same amount? Um, and what about little Penelope, who's running track and playing volleyball or playing basketball? She's working hard as Johnny and the other guys, but not making as much. And you're, and just the example for now, uh, Arizona, which was already struggling with money, uh, and we saw maybe earlier this week that there's $7.5 million in the rears after all this mess, or will be. Now what? Where does the money come from? Right, and that's, I mean, the success of your program is going to be even more critical. Um, I, I think if you do it as a percentage of revenue earned by your sport, that's probably the fairest way to do it. And again, the minor sports that don't draw they anything for attendance, they're not going to get it. The other way to do it fairly no. across a team is, so football was your example, yes, you have to pay everybody the same. You have to. Have to pay everybody the same. Yes. And the, let me tell you, the women will not be paid because those those sports, no matter how good or whatever, they don't make any money. It's the football team and the basketball team that's supplying the funds to make this make those school, uh, sports happen. Well, think about the places where women's sports do well. So, for instance, UConn women's basketball. How competitive is it going to be to want to go to UConn in that case? It, and it is. It, it is I mean, yes. it is now to of begin course. with. It'd be, yes, it'd be through yes, the roof. I don't know. Well, look at look at Arizona um, women. I think they lost money last year. I don't know. One point something, I think. I think. I could be wrong. I'd have to go back. I wasn't prepared to talk about this specifically. But um, so there's no one that's going to get paid. Harry McDonald will not be paid to play. Um, it, it's just it doesn't seem fair. Title IX uh, will take another hit. And, um, you know, more lawsuits I see. It's it, it just kind of almost impossible to make this fair for everybody. And that's the problem. I use, when my sons use the word fair, I've, and I rarely use the word fair, there's no such thing as fair in this world. No. It's not. To me, there's not. A no, there's not. And, and if you redistribute the money among even the athletes, the athletic program, or where it really should go across the university, um, you know, but right. ha, ha ha, Tom, um, you know, that's and it's sad that that I say something like that. But that is the reality of it. So, Steve, to your original point of if the G League or a similar entity ends up paying these kids this so the true concept of amateurism is not being paid to play a sport like it used to be in the Olympics before they allowed pros. Uh, this is what, you know, I envision the purest form of college sports to be like. So we're not there anymore. Uh, we haven't been there for a very long right. time. And so if the G League is going right. to offer kids a hundred and a quarter or 200 or 300, believe me, the talented ones will skip college and then maybe – College reverts to a little bit more pure type of amateurism where if you go to college, you're choosing to stay there two, three, four years to get a degree or develop as a person and a player and, and what have you. 
No question. I totally agree with that. And in fact, um, Arizona's, we, we always talk about this too. Would Sean's teams be better because he's better or, or assume, we can assume that he's better like his kids at Xavier. It would turn into more like Xavier where you had those good players, not five stars, but he molded them into very good teams. Uh, not to say that the teams here aren't any better than that, but we obviously know that he struggled with the one and dones. More schools would be like Duke or not like Duke, like Arizona or, or, or Kansas. Those guys would be, they wouldn't come here. They just wouldn't come here. Why would you come here? You'd go and make some, some cash and then uh, see what your chances are in the NBA. Right. I agree. And you're not going to Kentucky either. You're not going to North Carolina either. And no. and, and to be no. fair to Sean, no. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but no one does well with one and dones. No one, because that player comes no. in on their no. own agenda, riding their own train. They could care less about what happens with the team because they know where they're going. No question. I've said that a while, uh, for a long time now. Uh, I think people talk about Calipari being this great coach. Uh, really? He's got one championship in eight, nine years when he's gotten the best of the best in his tenure there, uh, wouldn't you assume that he'd have more championships than that? It doesn't work that way. Talent doesn't always win the day. Uh, it's more like teams that win the day. I agree. Let's take a quick I agree. break here. We're gonna, I haven't even announced. Todd Walsh from Arizona, Fox Sports Arizona will be on the show here on the other side of this break. Thanks, everybody. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. Now with me is good old friend, uh, pal, Todd Walsh. How are you? Former guy at Fox Sports when I worked there. How are you, Todd? Steve, how are you doing? Thanks for calling. Thanks for checking in. I hope you're well. I am well. I'm, I was going to ask you if you're anything like me over the last month or so. I'm not sure if you're working from home or whatever, but I am gaining weight as we speak. Just thinking about it. <laughs> well, I hope not. Um, I'm actually, I've, I've taken to uh, forcing myself every day to pick a favorite album and I go out and turn off my, the means to communicate with me and I walk for four and a half miles to five miles a day. Um, I haven't missed a day since this whole thing started. I actually, I'm obsessed with it now and I hope that whenever this, uh, whenever this period of our, our lives comes to an end and we go back to whatever the new normal is, but I don't let that slip away because it's been... Uh, an enlightening period of my life to be able to just go outside and walk and not think about the next game or the next show and just sort of think about life and it's been really cool that's the one silver lining in all this for me so I hope it's working <laughs> nice nice well I wish, I wish you were my neighbor I would get up with you and say let's go uh, shoot the bull and, and, and talk about whatever but good to have you hey I think maybe last year at this time you were on my show talking about the good old days uh, before we get to that I hope you can stay two segments uh, you're, you're sure. kind of still busy doing some podcast uh, doing some shows with Fox are you how is this working for you uh, it's really been fascinating yes um, I've been tinkering with a podcast for the Coyotes and on their social media platforms, and I wanted to do something for Fox Sports Arizona and, and off, you know, play off the Todd's Garage theme that we've sort of developed, which is a, a very real place and has a lot of very real things in it and memories that are easily um, things that I can connect and, and weave stories through. So we launched the Todd's Garage podcast, just put a brand new one up within the hour. It's up on Spotify already about uh, something we did with Bob Melvin and a couple of the guys from the movie That Thing You Do who uh, surprised him on a Zoom interview that I was doing. He's obsessed with the movie That Thing You Do. 
So the character that played Guy Patterson, the drummer, and the and the character that played Jimmy, the lead singer, uh, they're they're part of the um, Music Cares uh, um, a YouTube thing they're doing on Friday, trying to raise money for a lot, a lot of the artists in the entertainment industry that have been hit so hard because of the virus, and uh, we turned that into a podcast. So I've been able to do that and. Um, we, we've done, uh, we're calling them, uh, checking in where we, we do zoom interviews with, um, just people that are part of our everyday covers in Fox sports, Arizona, the diamondbacks and the coyotes. So that's been really, it, it's kind of cool the way that the window is open for us to be able to check in at any time. The rules of engagement have changed so dramatically on television. So, and then we're using those, those chats to support the classic TV show, the games that we're airing. So, we're, you know, we've got Sunday nights now for the Phoenix Suns. Mondays are our Coyote Classic games, and we're airing a series of playoff games with the Blackhawks from 2012. That starts Monday, and we have already launched our Diamondbacks Classics uh, throwback Thursdays. And uh, so I was able to talk to Brandon Webb and Chris Snyder about game one of the 2007 NLDS. It's a long-winded answer, but it's been keeping me very busy and uh, – it's weird, Steve. I don't know about you, but I, I, I've worked nights my whole life since I graduated. Right. Even while I was at the University of Arizona, you know, eleven thirty, twelve o'clock was a normal time to come home if I was coming home from an event or an airport. And now it feels very much nine to five job, and it's just a whole new scene for me to try and. I wake up and I go to work, and then by five o'clock I'm exhausted. <laughs> so yes, we're busy right, here. Right. 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 Um, that's that's the story. We're busy. There's no question that you've had an unconventional life in sports. I have too. In fact, I was at um, I was uh, this maybe what's Tuesday Thursday maybe Tuesday. Someone from my office has woken me woken me up about eight o'clock or woke me up at uh, eight o'clock and says, "Well, you don't sound cheery." I says, "Well, I'm not a morning person." And she says to me, "Oh, I didn't know that." I says, "Well, I stay up to about twelve or one. That's kind of what I did all my life covering games." Oh, oh, I guess that does make sense. We've never, you know, we go to games from 7 to 11, make a deadline, you know, decompress from 11 to 12, and then if we fall asleep out of the way, we fall asleep out of the way, and then do it, get up at, well, for me, 9 or 10, uh, and then yeah. do it again. It's just, uh, now this is, you're right, this is a different normal for us, and um, yeah. just a different way of thinking. It is, and, I, and I'm actually, it has allowed me to put myself in the shoes of the people that we want to watch our product. Because they're, you know, they're mostly working nine to five, and they're coming home, and you know, I, I mean, I, I kid, I, I, I work nights, but I also would work most of the day putting shows together, and as you know, it's never really, you're never really off. So I, I've actually no. been able to kind of spin it in my head to say, okay, so how do you feel at the end of a nine to five day, and how, what's your attention span like when I'm asking you and hoping that you watch a thirty minute pregame show before a game? And I, I kind of look forward to implementing some of the things that maybe I've taken from this at some point when we're sitting there before a broadcast. I've put my entire career into pregame shows. That's the one. That's the thing that I've always wanted to do. And since KNST and Brian Jeffries a thousand years ago, that's what I do. But now I'm in that chair, and I'm, I'm a little burned out by the time I sit down for that, what would be game time, you know, and I, I want to think about that some more. I'm still processing that. You probably want to nap at three o'clock, three thirty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm old. 
yeah, you're not kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's unlike, what would uh, what do you miss the most? Oh, I, I mean, I miss the event. I mean, I miss the people. I miss the the drama that I miss the people that I work with. You know, we are so hands on and. Uh, for my job at Fox Sports Arizona, I have the best seat in the house. So I'm, I'm on the team bus. I'm on the team charter and the, uh, the team hotel, and just right there, you know, the earliest mechanism of the of the day of the game. And that's the thing that I, you know, when I was with Lou Olson's team, that's what we were doing all day long, working towards that moment. So it was always sort of in me. So I miss that. <clears throat> I miss. I miss putting the, those shows together, telling the story of what we hope you might see, and then the immediacy of going in the room after an event, whether it's a win or a loss, to, to feel that, I mean, it's the old phrase from Wide World of Sports, but the human drama of athletic competition. And I, I've, I've got a keener sense of appreciation now of really what sports has meant. I, I think we all learned a, a heavy dose of it in 2001 after 9-11. I was there at the World Series. I felt it at Yankee Stadium. Um, this is something totally different. It's such a void. And, um, I mean, I, when I walk, I, people, some people that I know in my neighborhood will just say, will you get back to work? Um, I, 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 that whole, the whole process is what I, what I miss the most. And, I, I, Steve, I never thought I'd say this, but... Um, I don't. I used to joke that I can't. I can't count how many times I've had a press meal on a paper plate with plastic utensils. But those <laughs> meals sound like five star restaurants to me right now. So <laughs> I miss the thought of sitting in a decent press meal because they lap my whatever it is I'm trying to concoct every night. I'll tell you that. Even even if you had to sit across guys like you know ugly looking guys like us, hey, how you doing, Todd? Okay, what you, what's going on? How you doing with your life? You know, that's a bunch of th- that's a, we're we're a bunch of just a bunch of ugly looking dudes. You know, especially the newspaper guys, the TV guys come in. You know, they come in the last minute, just look good. I say, hey, Todd, what's up? I don't know about that. It's all about lighting, man. Trust me, lighting. <laughs> It's all that matters. Learn that the hard way. <laughs> yeah, the darker the better for me. The darker the better yeah, for me. Yeah, hey, but yeah. you know what? You were talking about the because you're a great you're a great storyteller. Um, the podcast sounds a lot of fun because you you get to be with the guys to get those stories, and and yeah. those stories actually become better twenty thirty years later. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, for sure. And I love long form. I mean, the one thing that was hardest for me to do coming from radio to television was realizing that. I had to live in a much you know, shorter time frame and the canvas or whatever it is. Yeah, and, quicker. You know, yeah. And, and although I do get an opportunity at Fox Sports Arizona to do longer form essays and things like that um, when the situation presents itself. But now the podcast, I can kind of let the kite fly and see where the wind takes it. And you know, I, that's kind of my first love is radio. I kind of view the podcast as a radio show in, in, in and of itself and, Radio is the last neighborhood. It always was to me, and um, so I, I'm, I'm enjoying that. I, I don't want to do just that. I, want, I, I crave being out there for games, but I think the thing that I've really been interested in, Steve, is that, I, and I said this in the very first days of this pandemic, <clears throat> you know, we always talk about sports being an escape, and this is my soapbox, and it truly is, and I get it. I, I put a career around it. But maybe now, I, I know that I, for me personally, this is the one thing that I've been also sensing on some of these walks that I'm taking is, w- what are we trying to escape from? What is it that is 
maybe so bad out there in our lives that we are so obsessed and so in tuned to sports. Maybe this allows us to turn the ship for a second and say, what is it? Why are things so divisive out there? Why is there such a undercurrent of that that maybe we drift towards that game every night and maybe we can address those things. Maybe this does give us that chance and, you know, the sports is supposed sports is supposed to be where we have a, that divisive feeling. I can hate ASU, you know, until the cows come home when they play the U of A, and that's okay. Maybe that's where all that energy should be. Maybe we should be addressing some of the things that are forcing us to turn away. And uh, it sounds it's, you know insignificant coming from a pre and post game show host on a regional sports network, but it's the one thing I thought about very early on, and I'm. I'm hoping we see some of that. Let me ask you, you are you able to sp- uh, spend another segment with me? Yeah, sure. Yep. Yeah, that, what I want to do is maybe on the other side, we got about a minute or so. Uh, I want because I know you have some great stuff. You have some fantastic stuff. Uh, I'm a guy who keeps collections of, of stuff where I've been, uh, the moments of joy and all that. You have some great stuff. We'll talk about that. I want to see what your um, your best coyote stuff. You probably have some great coyote stuff, some great mm-hmm. uh, Diamondbacks stuff, and just like the the the, the best or the brings the best memory. You've had some fantastic Arizona basketball stories and stuff. You. you you bring like little nets and little booklets and you tell these great stories about what these booklets mean. It could be mean, it can mean nothing to me in terms of wealth or whatever, but it means the world to you. Uh, I, I know what that feeling is because, you know, oh, if yeah. you see a cup, oh, I found this cup at the Final Four and, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You want to do that? Yes, absolutely. I'm in. Great. All great. You, we'll, we'll do that. On the other side, talk to Todd Washington. Talk about the U of A time when he was with the U of A basketball team as a manager here on 1030 The Voice. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera. In with me is Fox Sports Arizona analyst. What's your color guy? What's your what personality? Todd Walsh, what's your what's your title? Uh, I think it's pregame host slash reporter. You can call me Todd, though. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, so Todd, you've had a great life. I think you have. Uh, you lived half of it down, or well, you know, where you grew up, and then you spent a lot of time here at U of A, working at the U of A, doing a lot of media stuff. And then you moved up north, and we'll talk a little about that. But uh, uh, and you've covered a lot of teams, a lot of sports. Give me Coyotes, your best item, and maybe the best guy to talk to over the years. Um, okay, uh, the best item that I have in in Todd's garage is sits just above my desk. I see it every single day. Um, is is a, uh, a piece of equipment that the longtime equipment guy for the Coyotes, Stan Wilson, is still there. Best in the business. He had to make for Jeremy Roenick. And Jeremy Roenick broke his jaw in seven places, and then he got 17 screws put in his jaw late in the regular season. He missed the first six games of a playoff series uh, with the St. Louis Blues, and Coyotes were up three games to one in that series and then found themselves in a game seven situation. And Jeremy Ronick said, I'm playing. I mean, his face was shattered. And they created a, a mask to try and protect his jaw. And he went out. It was, you know, we were all hoping it would be the Willis Reed moment. Um, but it was not to be. They lost in a scoreless game going into overtime. They lost one nothing. Lost the series. Still the most heartbreaking loss I've ever been around 
uh, personally. Um, and one of the greatest games I've ever seen. It was a spectacle in the whiteout, and Jeremy did what he what he tried to do, but he couldn't will his team to win. And that mask disappeared for years and years and years. And when he was inducted into the Ring of Honor, I was fortunate enough to be able to go out and emcee that event on the ice. And I asked Stan Wilson, hey, whatever happened to that mask? And he said, I still have it. <laughs> I said, well, I'd like to use it as, my, as a prop in my speech for Jeremy. And so I did, and I held it up at the end of the speech. And then afterwards, I gave it to him, and he said, no, you keep it. So he's hiding the mask. But that, to me, is just one of the great stories that I'll never forget. Um, and he was one of the great characters. Very cool. my, the favorite, my favorite guy to talk to um, was Chris King in the earliest uh, years of the Coyotes. I still talked to him. I just texted him, uh, texted him not too long ago. There's a picture of him in my garage right or in my office where he um, – he came on my show all the time. I had to do I had two shows. I had a, a radio pregame show. And I also did an FM rock and roll PM drive show. We, I did AM and FM, and we were the home of the Coyotes at the time. And Chris was my go-to guy. He got it. He had such great entertainment, uh, a great sense of entertainment, and he was always chirping at me. And, and I grew a beard during the All-Star break, and I didn't shave it. And uh, when I came back to cover the team, I kept the beard, and he looked at me and he said, you know, you have the body of a bowler. Why do you have a beard? It makes you look worse. Ha, ha, ha. He said, if I, next time I score a goal, I'm shaving the beard. Well, he went weeks and weeks and weeks, I think two months before he scored a goal again, and I was standing down there to do the post-game interview, and he walked by and he said, I'm doing it. So the next day he came to the radio station. It was you know, a goofy radio stunt, but he shaved my beard, gave me a staph infection on my face because it was the – the, sh- the razor, the shears that he used to trim his kid's head. And I just have a picture of that moment. So th- those are two things that I see every single day. And it reminds me of how cool this job can be sometimes. To be, uh... well, I lost you, Steve. I'll step in here for a moment. Let's see if we can get Steve's connection back here. One moment. And uh, Todd, in the meantime, so kind of talking about that, you talked about the hockey side of things. Uh, Is there another one, another sport that kind of sticks out for you uh, and a memento in the garage that maybe is a personal favorite? I'm sure there's got to be a ton. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, I I parachuted in on Major League Baseball in 2001. Tom, it's good to hear your voice, by the way. Um so I covered a team that went and, and won the World Series. And I, I will argue it's the greatest World Series of my lifetime. And I would put it up with the 75 Red Sox and Reds and a few others along the way. But um, in, in my office, there's a, a, a placard or a, a note that was sent to me from, from Joe Garagiola after we sat down and did, in my own words, interview at his home. Well, I think probably the last lengthy interview that he ever did. And he wrote a note back after the interview and just said he will never forget the sight of me sitting there with my yellow legal pad with hundreds of questions. But he he said that he enjoyed it. And I see that note when I sit down and go to work. And it reminds me that when I was 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, I, like so many other kids of the 70s, watched the game of the week 
and the baseball world of Joe Gargiola and Monday Night Baseball and all those playoff games and the World Series games and the Today Show and the Tonight Show. And Joe Gargiola was the voice and the face of our generation. And if you had told the 12-year-old version of me when I was playing, you know, wiffle ball baseball in the backyard, that someday I'd be sitting at Joe Gargiola's house. We actually won an Emmy Award for that show. It just kind of reminds me that you can achieve these things if you put your put your you know your work boots on and it's okay to dream and i did dream those things when i was a kid i did dream of being a broadcaster and covering major league baseball and joe garciola was the guy so i remember i got out of the out of his house and drove home and i i was like fred flintstone i could carry the car because i was so i don't know you just get that high after an event like that so that's the that's certainly something I see every day. I cherish that. And what about player to talk to? In baseball, Steve? Um, yeah, with the Diamondbacks. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I tend to gravitate towards the managers. Like, I, I just spent 24 hours dealing with Bob Melvin. He's just one of the great people. And to be able to do what we did um, with the cast of the movie, that was just I'm still kind of on a high for that. Tori Lovello is of the same cloth. I work with Bob Brenly, you know, every single night. And all three of those guys were, they just understood. And you, Steve, you know this, the day-to-day media grind. You know, we're, I, I sat down with Rick Tock and Tori Lovello uh, in February. We just put this show on the air because they wanted, they reached out to me. They wanted to meet each other. And I said, well, we'll do that. But as long as it's with a camera, but they wanted to pick each other's brains and talk about philosophies. And when I sat down, I looked at them and said, I, I talk to you guys more than I talk to anybody in my family. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I talked to Tori Lovello before every game and after every game. I'm on flights with him. I see him. I, I communicate with him. Same story with Rick Tocchin. I might talk to him three times in a day. So <clears throat> those are the guys that I gravitate to. Um, the players, I, it's hard for me to pick one. I just know that Randy Johnson was a challenge. But once once he kind of let his guard down and we had a connection over our love for music and rock and roll, um, I mean, he led us into his house. And we, we did a sit-down in his house. I don't think anyone had ever done that before. And he uh, blessed us and said, hey, come to Cooperstown. So and I'm going to put him at the top of the list because he's, he delivered every time that we needed him to deliver. And the fact that he didn't let me interview him after his perfect game because he said he was too tired, I've forgiven him, and he more than made up for it. Nice, nice, nice. Let's go to the important stuff now, Arizona yeah. stuff. Because when you're the, yep. you're our host uh, for the uh, Lou Olson camp, you come in or you bring some stuff that's uh, kind of like really cool, and it could be mm-hmm. like a piece of paper or a t- the net or whatever. Give me a couple of items there and maybe a player or two that you really, really enjoyed because you you came during the uh, the, 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 the groundbreaking stuff, the, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. fun, cool stuff. Well, you, you've seen my stump speech. I carry two things when I give speeches around the U of A when it relates to the basketball program. Okay. And I have two things that were there from the very first practice, day one. Three and a half, four hour long practice on the floor at McHale. Um, I have the stopwatch that I use every single day for three years of practice. And I have um, one of the personalized jump ropes. And every practice would start with a stretch, and then those guys would jump rope. And before they ever took the floor on that 
October 15th or whatever day that was in 1983, the managers, we had to go out and make personalized jump ropes. And we had to cut plastic beads for each guy and then for each guy's height. I mean, and, and I didn't know what in the world I was doing, what I got into. I just knew that I got a scholarship and I was going to be alive for another year. So I, I'm not really good with arts and crafts. So making jump ropes for guys that were six, seven, six, eight wasn't something that came naturally to me. And I don't know why. I had a bag that I kept after I graduated. I had a lot of stuff in it. But th- that jump rope and that stopwatch remind me of how hard not that I certainly worked, but how hard Lute Olson and his entire staff worked to get that program where it was. I've told this story about the barnstorming trips to Sierra Vista and Nogales and Casa Grande where we would practice in those gyms and, and, and have free lunch for anyone that was watching practice. And then Lute Olson would walk around with that blow, that blow horn and, that, and he would say to everybody, get your tickets now. You're sub, we're Southern Arizona's team. We're going to be Arizona's team, and you'll never be able to get a ticket. We're going to win, and we're going to win a lot. And I look at those things. I look at my Pac-10 championship ring, the first one. I think of you know John Edward coming to the bench at Pauley in March of 86 when John Wooden got up and left because he knew that UCLA was going down and Arizona was going to win their first ever Pac-10 championship. I look at that ring, and I know how hard I worked, and I know how hard those guys worked. And it's just a symbol to me, just just never stop. I mean, you work hard, you are rewarded. And those those three things will always be close to me, whether they're out of the drawer or they're sitting on the on somewhere in my office or on my ring finger. Your garage must be full of a lot of stuff that means the world to you and people say, What's what what's this stuff in here? Oh they do. I mean look it, you know, Bob Renley and Steve Bertheum like to laugh at me on the air and say that I'm a hoarder and I have a giant ball of string, but I don't, and I'm not. But I, I think we're probably a lot alike, Steve, <laughs> just listening to what you're saying, that I, I will bring things home. And I did it when I was a kid. When I went to games, I would bring a ticket stub home or I'd bring a program home. And I, the stuff right. that I have just happens right. to, to fall in line with what I do. And I sort of always knew that as a kid. So just the other day, it was last week, I did a full podcast, um, and it's on Spotify, Todd's Garage, the podcast, about Hank Aaron's 715th home run. Well, I have the newspaper, my hometown newspaper, the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle in Rochester, New York. My dad said on April 9th, the day after he hit 715, my dad, who was a Babe Ruth fan in 1927, my dad said, here, you should keep this. And it was the front page of the paper. And I kept it. It was the first newspaper I kept. And I pulled it out the other day. I realized I hadn't really done anything with it. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to track the guy down. I wonder if he's still alive. The guy that wrote the story in my hometown paper. And he was. He is. So I called him and we talked. <laughs> and I said, look, I'm, if you had told me that, you know, April 9th, 1974, that in, you know, I don't know how many years later I'd be talking to you about this, but it meant the world to me to tell him. And as you're a writer and you've written on Deadline. You know the drill. He was sitting on the biggest story in the world that night, and I read his story so many years later, and he nailed it. He nailed it. And I told him that. And it was pretty cool to be able to, to say that to a guy that, you know, he's been in the business for a while. He's still writing. He's still writing. And I said, your, your story stands the test of time. You delivered the good. And it was about the details in the story. And the podcast tells that story. And 
if you're an aspiring writer, if you're a fan of the human condition, I think you might enjoy it. Right, right. Let's uh, go one more further because you you you've no loot in uh, good times, uh, b- bad times in terms of losses and stuff like that. Uh, been with him a number of years. See him from time to time. Um, your thoughts on what he means to you, or uh, having worked for him for a number of years? Well, um, I've actually been thinking a lot about that lately, and. Um I mean, I, I had a chance to tell him this at an event. I think it was a um, wine tasting event we had up in Phoenix with the Phoenix alumni a few years back. And I told him the story that he had never heard before because I never thought it was really important to tell him because I was just a manager, just a little piece of the puzzle. But um, as I told him the story and told the group, it was hard for me to look at him because I was very emotional, but I... I misjudged a few things when I left New York and came to the University of Arizona. I, I did not know that my uh, tuition would not pay for my my food, and my family didn't have a lot of money. And my first day on campus, I realized that I wasn't going to make it. I did not know until I went to Louis' lower level, and I gave them my ID, and they laughed at me and said, "Okay, what? You know, six bucks." So I had like $400 to my name, and the story that I tell is true. I I worked at uh, Noodles and Crust Pizza till 2 or 3 in the morning washing dishes, and then I sold my plasma twice a week, did everything I could to get to 170 pounds so I could do it twice a week. That was the limit. It was like $35 a bag. And um, as a lark, I thought I was going to try out for the baseball team, saw those guys. They were men. I wasn't, and I walked across the street, knocked on the door of uh, the basketball office in McHale and said, you need a public address announcer. And the secretary, I think, took pity on me. Her name is Joe Pierce. I'll never forget it. She sent me to Scott Thompson. Uh, a week later, I came back for another interview, and, and then I got a phone call. He said, we need to reimburse your scholarship check, and uh, we need to pay you back for your books, and you're on scholarship, and you know, we start Monday. And my life changed. But when I put it in terms of what Lute Olson did, um, you know, he saved my life and he gave me life and he gave me a work ethic and he gave me a direction that I never had and never would have found. So, you know, when you're, when you're trying to prepare for a pregame show that feels meaningless, I, I think back to, you know, a, a Tuesday practice at McHale because that was the biggest thing in the world that day and you're not going to screw up around Lutles. You just weren't. So um, those are things I learned at the most important time of my life, I was around the media. I was around guys like Jack Magruder and Greg Hansen, who I, I idolize to this day. I call them my friends. I met you along the way, Steve, and uh, obviously Brian Jeffries and the late Ray Scott. Um, I saw how everybody went about their business. I was in the right place at the right time. Uh, but none of it happens if I'm I'm not taken in with that program, and it gave me legs and um, like I said, it, it, I will say, and I have said, it gave me life and saved my life. Fantastic stories as usual, Todd. I appreciate it. We got to get you back uh, if we continue this uh, misery of the uh, <laughs> this uh, pandemic that we're going through. Let's, yeah. let's get you back and talk more about this stuff. Fantastic stories. I love hearing them. You know that. I love hearing these stories. Well, I appreciate that, Steve. And I, I hope for everyone listening. The southern tier that they're safe sound and stay safe and sound i i love you all down there i miss you and 
I could be hanging out on Mount Lemmon right now, looking down and waiting for the lights of Tucson to pop up in another hour or so, I would. I, I think about it all the time. So you guys, bear down, okay? Thanks, man. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate your time. Say hello to Brett for me. Take care. You got it. Thanks, Steve. Let's take a quick break here, Tom, Tom, and come back on the other side here on 1030 The Voice. Hey, welcome back to Eye on the Ball here on 1030 The Voice. I'm your host, Steve Rivera, and with me is Tom Callahan. What a great interview with Todd. I, I, I love the way he tells stories. Very, very, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, kind of very straightforward, yet very calming, and tells it all like he knows it and how he's been through it, and I uh, love his stories. He's a very good storyteller, Steve. But um, so funny thing, uh, I didn't know that he was from Rochester, New York, which is just down the street from my hometown of Buffalo, New York. And I went to college in Rochester. And so, Steve, I want to tell you that next time you have him on, you missed an opportunity today, but let's do it next time. I know, I know. The garbage plate. You need to ask him about his impressions. It it blew by me, too, and and when you reminded me now, I think I know what you're going to tell me. (laughs) I did miss the opportunity with the garbage plate. Oh, man. I didn't know he was from Rochester. I'm a little upset at him. You know, I'm a little upset with him. He's probably losing losing weight, and I'm here just kind of gaining weight. You and me both, man. Man, I got to get up in the morning and start. Well, I don't need to get up in the morning. I hate the mornings. Uh, to walk maybe in a mile or two or four or ten, you know, like be like Forrest Gump. You know, start that run and never come back for like a long time. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I mean, look, yeah, I'll be my, honest with my, you. Uh, hey, I'm not a morning person either, Steve. So I get it. Unless the dog has to go out to pee or dogs, I have two of them, need to go out to pee. I'm not getting <laughs> out of bed in the morning. So. <laughs> Uh, yes, I I don't re- don't uh, remember those uh, memories uh, calmly or very nicely. We had two dogs, and you know they're the kids' dogs; they'll take care of them. Oh uh, yeah, right. I'm mm-hmm. the one that's getting up in the morning, four or five in the morning, taking them out. Damn dogs, damn dogs. Uh, but it is what it is. Um, it, it, was, it was those memories last. Um, hey, did you see? Did you see today that the U of A football team got a little worse today? I did. Boy, oh boy, they're uh, they're going to have to be looking in the secondary here. So for those who don't know, Scotty Young Jr. Um, has decided to transfer. So he started 29 games over the past three years. He's the fourth safety to transfer this offseason, Steve. But I mean, Arizona's secondary wasn't in great shape to begin with. So now what? Now what is uh, try to find some guys that'll be able to fill the uh, fill the spot? Uh, I don't know if they have those guys, and um, we already kind of are projecting that they won't win, but. F- four games, three games, four games, if they're good enough to early win the early ones, if, in fact, guess what? We have a season. Yeah, that's the... So, in your expert opinion, uh, and I call you an expert because you've spent a lifetime around sports and college sports in Arizona, um, do they play this fall, next spring, or do we not have a football season coming up or indeed an athletic season for college in general and we just pick it all back up in the fall of 2021? Well, that's a tough question. Uh, I don't, you know, they're going to need some time. I, I, I'm going to say this and I'll probably be not totally committed, but I think they'll st- they'll have a season. It'll be later into the season. Uh, maybe miss the first two or three games that were scheduled and pick up maybe mid-September somewhere along those lines and then kind of see how it goes. Uh, but if you're if you open 
you're opening. You're not looking back because you can't second guess. Um, how many people go to those games? I do not know. Um, and I, I'm not talking just here. I'm talking about all over the country because everybody wants them. But are you going to have games, and you know you're not, if there's no classes or if their classes are stuttered or whatever, if they're like they are right now, are you? It, it, college is about going to college. Right. It's not about football or basketball or anything like that. These guys are student athletes. At least that's what the name is. Uh, they're not just going there to go play ball. So you have to go to class and do that before you do the other thing. At least that's the last time I checked. And Steve, the other thing I remember reading, oh, it was probably last week, there was a poll. The sample size wasn't huge, but it was a poll of sports fans. And it asked, would you go back to see a game before there is a um, an inoculation against the virus? Uh, and, you know, and, and a, a lot of people said no. It was, it was overwhelmingly no. It was something like 80, 90% no. Of course. I mean, we talked about this last week, didn't we? That if you, that if you, um, would you go? Would you go under these type of conditions? And right away you said, there's no way. I totally agree with you. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I, I, and, and you know what? I mean, college kids who tend to be either fearless or thoughtless or a healthy helping of both, um, I could see being a little more gung ho about going back. But to your point, the 2021 school year may not have anybody on campus. No, no. In fact, uh, the AD, I shouldn't, uh, Gene Smith, I think it is, uh, at Ohio State, said if there's no school, if there's nothing like that, and or no crowds, why would they jeopardize the players if the fans aren't in the same jeopardy? I know he didn't say it like that, but you know, why put the kids at risk too? They're human beings. Why would we do that if there's no vaccine or there's no uh, answer for all this? Right. Right. I agree. I agree completely. If if you're playing in empty stadiums, why put the athletes at risk as well? No question. My son's a medic in the, in the army, and uh, one of his uh, people—I uh, don't know any other word for it—one of his people fell down, fainted, and um, he had no choice but to carry him to the to the uh, hospital, the medic hospital there. And uh, he said, "Dad, I got to go into quarantine. We don't know his situation, and I'm the guy who had to pick him up and take him. So now." Um, and this is what he does for a living. He's a medic. Uh, so you just don't know. No one knows. You know, I saw you today. I didn't see you through a screen. You know, I saw you through the screen. Not purposely because <laughs> right. we see each other a lot. Right. Uh, but that's what it's come to. It's crazy. Yep. No, I, I completely agree. And it's 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 the world we live in today. But unfortunately, we have to be supremely cautious and you know, it, it's funny, but, you know, the whole, you know, aggressively wash your hands, cover up when you can, uh, that sort of thing. I mean, it's all common sense stuff, but it's nothing anyone's ever yes. really done. Right. Yeah, no question. No, no question. I, I would I would assume that we go, not go back, but we improve on this as we move forward um, because we just don't know. I mean, and you know, not everyone's going to do it because, well, you know, we're all lax in a lot of different things. Even now, it's funny because we did a little promo here. Don't touch your face. Don't touch your eyes. Don't touch your, your nose and all that stuff. I do it all the time. I itch, you know, you, you're, I have contacts. I have uh, to sneak. You know what I'm saying? It's just yeah. do this out of habit without no, not even knowing it. Yep. You just, and they say the best thing you can do out of everything recommended is just keep washing your hands. So keep washing your hands, everybody. I need to to wear that mask that uh, Todd talked about. Get one of those. There you go. 
Yeah. Hey, how much time we got? We almost done? 10 seconds. Great. Good to talk to you, Tom. I guess I'll see you next week or talk to you next week. Yes, sir. Okay. Take care, everybody, here on 1030 The Voice.